Thank you, Pastor Chris, for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to preach to you this morning. Um, I am so thrilled to be able to uh, share God's Word with you today. As I told the kids many times this week, my favorite thing to do is to share amazing stories from my favorite book, the Bible. And I had a great opportunity to do that this past week in VBS. Uh, our theme this week was Game On. I think you may have noticed some of the, the uh, sports decorations around here, just one or two. Um, and we had a great time learning from God's Word about the, the things that we need to do to equip ourselves for life's big game. Now, this may come as a complete shock to you given my slim athletic physique, um, but I am not much of an athlete. <laughs> I, I played some organized sports, some team sports in high school because it was expected of me. But the truth is, I don't even watch sports on TV. It's just not my thing. So the only time that, that professional athletes sort of come onto my radar is, is when they turn up on the news. Uh, so admittedly, I might have a kind of a skewed perspective on uh, pro sports today, but it seems like those that are good role models are getting fewer and fewer, uh, they're getting harder and harder to find. It actually reminds me of a little story. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to share that. I'm going to switch to children's church mode for a minute and share a little story with you today, um, and I hope you enjoy it. There was once a kangaroo who was really good at sports. He was awesome at sports. Whenever they had a race, the kangaroo would win the race. Just He was flat out faster than all the other animals. Whenever they had a jumping contest, he would win. Great at basketball. His jump shot was amazing. Everything he tried, he was good at. And he just became this athletics champion. Well, the only problem is, along with becoming this athletics champion, he started to get kind of arrogant and overly proud of himself. And he would make fun of the other animals because they weren't as good as sports as he was. And his favorite person to pick on was this little penguin. And this penguin, he was waddling along, and he was so slow that sometimes he wouldn't even finish the race. And this kangaroo would just pick on him mercilessly. Well, one day the fox, who organized all the races, let it be known that in the next race, his odds-on favorite was that penguin. Well, everybody thought it was a joke. They just treated it like it was no big deal. But you know what? The kangaroo took offense. He got really upset by the fact that they were saying that this little penguin, this little tubby penguin was going to beat him. And he picked on the penguin even more than usual. He just tormented him mercilessly. And it got to the point where the penguin, he didn't even want to participate in the race. He was ready to just stay home. But there was this tradition that all the animals would participate. And so he decided he was going to give it a try. And on the day of the race, he approached the starting line where the fox was leading all the animals up to where they were going to start the race. And they started walking up this big hill. And he was struggling going up this hill. And the other animals were teasing him and making fun of him and trying to decide what was more likely for him to fall down the hill and roll or slide down on his big fat belly. But when they got up to the hill, top of the hill, they all shut up. You see, the top of that hill was actually a big crater and the water had filled it in and there was a huge lake at the top of the mountain and they approached the starting line and the fox said okay guys first one to the other side wins well the penguin was thrilled he waddled over to the edge of the water and jumped in and as soon as he hit the water his speed was unbelievable he was unbeatable he beat all the other animals by a long shot and there he was on the shore 
And the other animals came after him. And the kangaroo was in dead last place. Here he was struggling, tearful, dripping, coming up to the shore. And it took him so long to get there that most of the other animals had already gone home. But when he came there, he noticed that that penguin was waiting for him. The penguin was waiting for him there on the shore. And he may have thought that that penguin was there to make fun of him or tease him. But you see, the penguin had learned a lot of things from his suffering. And he offered instead to teach the kangaroo how to swim. You see, the kangaroo thought that his athletic ability, his talent at sports, meant that he was more important than the other animals, much more important than the penguin. And he thought that his significance at sports gave him the right to treat others poorly. But the penguin knew what it was like to feel small and insignificant and slow, and he did not take it for granted. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about significance. Now, I have to be honest with you. I I struggled with preparing this sermon. This idea came to me. God laid it on my heart a, a couple of years ago, and I had a general outline of what I wanted to say But I had a really hard time figuring out how to actually present it. And I think the reason that I struggle with this sermon so much is because I have struggled with the topic of this sermon in my own life for so long. So when I'm preaching today, I hope you know I'm not preaching down to you. Uh, I'm preaching from the heart, a heart of someone who struggled with this myself. And I just want to share with you what God has shared with me to teach me and guide me. I'm still getting to know you all, so uh, most of you probably don't know that pastor was not my first career choice. If if you had told teenage me that I was going to grow up and be a pastor someday, I would have laughed in your face. That's the truth. On my 18th birthday, I joined the army. And I would like to say that I joined because I wanted to serve my country or because it was some kind of noble calling. But the truth of the matter is, I wanted to be a hero. And not just any hero, I wanted to be an action hero like the kind you saw in the movies. I wanted to be looked at as somebody who was willing to make the big sacrifices to save the day for the greater good. And and honestly, I wanted to look at myself that way too. And when my army career ended, I kind of took that same attitude with me into the business world. I, I took steps to make my mark there as well. I started working my way up the corporate ladder, and I'm ashamed to admit that I stepped on a few people on the way up. I wanted people to see me as an effective businessman, as a brilliant administrator. I wanted to rise to the top, and I wanted to make the big bucks. I thought if I became a success that the people around me would look up to me and admire me. And I guess I thought that if they did, that maybe I could admire myself as well. I wanted to be able to look at my life and see that it was significant. And I wanted other people to see that too. So I was never happy. I was never satisfied. There was always one more position to achieve, one more goal to reach. And and you know, we're all concerned with whether or not our lives will be significant. And, And at times like the changing of the year or on our birthdays, we have a tendency to evaluate our lives and take stock on how significant we are. Well, I'm going to talk to you today a little bit about significance and what the Bible has to say about it. So turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be beginning in verse 21. 
This is an interesting passage. Just prior to these verses, we have this story of Jesus that John read for us asking His disciples who men said that He was. And they gave their answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're a prophet or a great teacher. He then asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives this great answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus praises Peter for his insight and He tells him that this is the principle on which the entire church is going to be built. Then He tells the disciples not to tell anyone. It's at this point that our passage begins. And and it begins in an interesting way considering what just happened. The disciples have finally come to this realization, this understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. It's a triumphal realization. It's a turning point in Jesus' ministry. His relationship with His disciples is going to change. His relationship with the world is going to change. It's a turning point. So what's this big change? Well, we see it here in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. We have this incredible earth-shattering revelation of Jesus' divinity, and the result is that He begins to prepare His disciples for His death. Verse 22 tells us how Peter responded. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter's response is so typical of him. He doesn't think about the implications. He just pulls aside the the person that he just admitted was God himself and begins to contradict what he had to say. Peter had wholeheartedly responded to the truth about Christ, but the truth about the cross was something else entirely. The the disciple who had just triumphed when faced with the divinity divinity of Christ was now fallen flat on his face when it came to the death of Christ. Godhead, he could understand. Golgotha was something else entirely. Peter's heart was in the right place. He just didn't understand what Jesus was all about. It would, have, it would all be made clear eventually, but in the meantime, Jesus had to respond to Peter. So we can expect a gentle rebuke, right? We can expect the Prince of Peace to pull Peter aside and gently indicate the error of his ways, right? Well, let's look at Jesus' response in verse 23. But he turned to Peter and said... Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Nice gentle rebuke, right? Get behind me, Satan. So why did Jesus respond so strongly to Peter? Well, he tells us, you are a hindrance to me. Other versions translate that word hindrance to stumbling block or a dangerous trap. This was a hindrance, a stumbling block, a trap that was dangerous, that was a threat to Christ himself. So so what was this trap that was so deadly, so insidious that it could threaten the Son of God? Jesus tells us in the same verse, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Setting your mind on the things of man. Seeing things only from a human point of view. This is the trap that Jesus was talking about. Peter was thinking that the significance of Jesus' ministry would come from the world acknowledging Him as the Messiah. But Jesus knew that the significance of His ministry was in obeying the Father. Jesus battled with this trap throughout His life. Now, we don't think of it that way as Jesus battling with something, but the Bible makes that pretty clear. Now, don't get me wrong. He had perfect victory, but He did struggle with this. 
When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, the devil took him up to a high place, and this is what he tempted him with. Significance. He showed him everything and said he could have earthly significance. But this trap, this significance trap, is even more dangerous for us. So how can we avoid it? How can we avoid this trap that that was dangerous to Christ himself? Well, the author, Frank Herbert, said, knowing where the trap is, that's the first step to evading it. So the first thing that we need to do is to recognize the trap. And Jesus told us in Matthew 16, or Matthew 6 rather, uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? Sometimes it's easy to tell the difference between earthly significance and heavenly significance. If life is offering us advancement or prosperity at the expense of others, it's easy to understand that we should not profit from someone else's destruction. But what happens when it's more subtle? How do we know? How can we learn to recognize this trap? We have to learn to recognize the difference between earthly significance and heavenly significance between treasures stored on earth and treasures stored in heaven. And the first step to be able to tell the difference is to know the difference between ambition and burden. We live in a culture that glorifies ambition. Western culture sets ambition as a cardinal virtue, and this is not new. The Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius said, a man's worth is not greater than his ambition." Bill Bradley said, ambition is the path to success and persistence is the vehicle you arrive in. Now I'm going to give these men the benefit of the doubt and say that they were talking about the right kind of ambition. The problem is our culture has warped what ambition means. That word no longer means what it used to mean anymore. And yet we still judge people's value in part based on their ambitions. Ambition is defined as an intense drive for success or power, a desire to achieve honor, wealth, or fame. To be ambitious in the worldly sense is essentially to be determined to have more than your neighbor. Its motto is, he with the most toys wins. Ambition strives to be number one. But what does the Bible have to say about it? The Bible tells us, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Matthew chapter 23, 12. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And in 1 John 2, 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Jesus tells us, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In Matthew six thirty three. Where does that ambition, that selfish ambition come from? It comes from the heart of man. You see, God doesn't give that kind of ambition. He gives burden. When God gives burden, the only thing that you need is obedience. But when you're acting from selfish ambition, what you need is your drive. When you operate out of obedience to God and His burdens, you can accomplish God's will. Jesus was able to accomplish every Old Testament prophecy about himself without having one ambitious bone in his body. And if anybody could have justified their own ambitions, 
It was Jesus. And instead, he said, I'm only going to go where the Father wants me to go. I'm only going to do what the Father wants me to do. I'm only going to say what the Father wants me to say. That's it. Nothing more. That selfish ambition has to be stamped out in order to make room for God's will. We can recognize the significance trap by understanding the difference between burden and ambition. Secondly, we need to be able to tell the difference between good things and God things. Now this can be a tough one. In the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we have a story of King Saul. Saul was getting ready to go into battle and he wanted to invoke God's blessings on his army in the coming battle. And so before the battle started, he stopped everything, he gathered his army to him, and he made a sacrifice to God, asking God to bless their venture. He tried to do a good thing. There's only one problem. Samuel was the one that was supposed to make that sacrifice. It wasn't Saul's job. And so he did a good thing and not a God thing, and he was condemned for it. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. We look at uh, Acts chapter 16, and we have the story of Paul and Silas on their missionary journey. And there in the early part of chapter 16, we see Paul excited about entering into Asia and taking the gospel to the people there. And we are told that the Holy Spirit prevented him from doing it. You see, that wasn't the God thing that he had for Paul. It was a good thing, but it wasn't a God thing. And Paul was obedient So often we come to God with a list of good things and we ask God to co-sign it. That's how we seek God's will. And God God will often let us do this, but we have to do it in our own power and we end up depleted, confused, and frustrated because we try to do a good thing. What we need to do is surrender to God's list and allow Him to empower us. When we're working on His list, there is no exhaustion. Our cups are filled with God's loving grace and we minister to those around us from the overflow of His abundance. Do you know what the last thing that you could want for your life is? Do you know what the worst possible thing that you could have happen? It's for you to get your way. The best thing that can happen is His will. If we want to avoid the significance trap, we have to learn to tell the difference between our good things and His God things. The third part of recognizing the trap is to know what's more important, faithfulness or giftedness. Oftentimes we look at our gifts and we think that they say something about who we are. We perceive personal value in gifts that were given to us by God that truthfully have nothing to do with us. They're simply entrusted to us for His use. Jesus used the parable of the talents to explain this to us and He summarized it with this. In Matthew 25, 29, For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Over and over again in Scripture, we are told that faithful obedience is more important than any gifts that we have. You see, greatness is never a product of giftedness. Greatness is a product of faithfulness. Let me say that again. Greatness is not a product of giftedness. Greatness is a product of faithfulness. If your focus is on your gifts, then you are putting your trust in the resource and not in the source. And you're going to fall victim to the destructive assumption that you are pretty good. Now, it's something of a Christian cliche to say this, but God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. 
If you wait to do what God has burdened you with until you are ready for it, you're going to stand stock still your entire life. You see, God calls you to do something and there is gap. There is always going to be gap between where you are and what He's called you to do. And as you are accomplishing what He has called you to do, you're going to have to become what He has called you to be. On your way to accomplishing something, you must become somebody. And to recognize the significance trap, we have to realize that our faithfulness is more important than our giftedness. Now, once we've recognized the trap, we need to know how to avoid it. And if we look back at our passage in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell us how to avoid the trap. Let's look at verses 24 and 25. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would, could after, would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The first step to avoid the trap is to take up our crosses. Jesus invites us to make a radical commitment to lay down our lives completely for him. You see, the cross was not only for him, it was for us as well. And the world looks on the, the, the cross, the philosophy of the cross, as folly. But we know that it's so much more. As Jim Elliott, one of the five young missionaries who was killed taking the gospel to the men in Ecuador to, to, that had never heard the gospel before, wrote in his diary, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And now, if that sounds uncomfortable to you, or if it sounds difficult to you, you're right. That's the point. Even Jesus struggled with this. Just look at his prayer in the garden before his trial and his crucifixion. He knelt in anguish alone with God, and he cried out his heart, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was so torn by what was going to happen that the agony of spirit caused him to sweat grape drops of blood. But he got up like a lamb to the slaughter. And he took up his cross and he obeyed God. And the calling is on each of us to do the same. He suffered. That's how he knew he was doing the right thing. And if you're suffering for doing what God has asked you to do, then you know you're doing the right thing. You know that you're avoiding the significance trap. Next, in verse 26, he tells us what our motivation is, what makes us willing to suffer for him. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? If you want to avoid the significance trap, you need to know the value of your soul. What is your soul worth to you? There's a lot of stories and movies about people selling their souls. And the moral of those stories is always the same. It's never worth it. The price is always too high. Jesus' rhetorical question is easy to answer. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You don't. There is no benefit. You gain nothing. There's no happiness. There's no satisfaction. But losing our souls is not just about whether or not you believe Jesus and accept Him as your Savior. It's, it's been well said that the first question that comes to a soul is heaven or hell. But when that question is settled in favor of heaven, the second question that comes to a soul is heaven or earth. We must settle that second question at the foot of the cross and in light of the value of our souls if we want to avoid the significance trap. Lastly, in verse 27, Jesus tells us that the key to avoiding the significance trap is to keep the end in mind. 
It says, For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He's done. The danger of the significance trap comes from comparing ourselves to other people. When we do that, we're saying that the judgment of people here on earth is more important than the judgment of God. Jesus said in John 5.22 that all judgment had been given to Him by the Father. He is our judge. He is that authority. And when we judge ourselves and compare ourselves with others around us, we are usurping the authority of Jesus. We're focusing on the wrong things. The earthly things. Man's perspective instead of the perspective of the only judge that matters. We end up striving and grasping for things. We fall prey to comparisons. And the truth is, what God has for you, no mortal being can take away from you. What God has for you, no mortal being can take away from you. So you never need to compete or compare. All we need to be is humble, broken servants of the Lord. And whatever God wants to give you, He will bring it to you. You don't have to go campaigning for it. We need to be willing to talk about our jealousies. We need to share our struggles with competitiveness so that we can allow God to edit our lives. The danger of times when we take stock of our lives and evaluate them is that the significance of a life cannot truly be assessed at any midpoint in it. You see, the measure of significance is not here on earth. The measure is in heaven. Heaven is real and the scales are there. When we come to the end of our lives, we want the Lord to say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to know that we've fought the good fight, that we've finished the race and we've remained faithful. But to finish the race, we have to avoid the significance trap. Now our theme verse at VBS this week was 2 Peter 1.3. Lincoln did a great job of teaching it to us this morning, didn't he? His divine power has granted us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We've been given everything we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us. We don't need to struggle uh, and strive to have more and more. We only feel that we do when we forget that everything we do is for His own glory and goodness, not ours. It's not about you and me. All that we need to do, all that we should do is work toward His significance, not ours. We have no significance outside of His purposes. It's just not about us. Now maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've already fallen victim to this. I'm stuck in this trap. Well, then I would say to you, you're halfway there. You've recognized the trap for what it is. Now it's time to take up your cross, to know the value of your soul and submit to God's judgment rather than the judgment of men. You can lay aside your ambitions in favor of His burdens. You can stop chasing your good things and turn instead to God things. You can stop being exhausted because you're relying on your own strength, your own gifts, and you can surrender to faithful obedience to God. It's never too late. Lay down that burden. Come to Him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and He will give you rest. Stop relying on the resources and turn to the source. Let yourself out of the significance trap.
Let's pray.